So this idea of preparing uh, the, the resources that we need. Maybe you think of a trip where you went somewhere where, where when you got there, you realized, oh, I don't, I don't have what I need. I, I don't really have all that I need for this trip. And, of course, we, we can find other resources to do that. But as I thought about that, um, I thought about <clears throat> this um, Tuesday. This Tuesday is the 65th anniversary of uh, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay to have actually summited Everest. Uh, the 65th anniversary. <clears throat> um, what a remarkable feat to be able to summit 29,031 feet. Uh, and that'll be on Tuesday. That's the 65th. And I, I thought about this as I'm working on this lesson to think about the resources that, are, that the Holy Spirit provides for us. I want to show you a couple of pictures. I'm going to come back to this here in a second, I promise. Here we go. <clears throat> I'm going to come back to this. But uh, this is a picture of uh, Tenzing Norgay here on the left. He's the, the Nepali, Nepalese, I don't know, not Neapolitan, that's ice cream. But uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of the word here. <clears throat> uh, I'm out of school. I turn my grades in. So uh, uh, the Nepalese guide, Sherpa, uh, Tenzing Norgay, uh, on the summit there at 29,031 feet. This is a couple of pictures. This is, this is not them on the right uh, top. This is just a team to get some idea of the, the difficulty here. Um, <clears throat> once you take 26,000 feet, uh, they talk about right around 26,000 feet uh, in these uh, summits, uh, they call it the kill zone. Uh, at that point, uh, your blood vessels begin to leak. <laughs> uh, your veins begin to leak because of the lack of atmosphere. Uh, the oxygen level is a, such a degree that you get... Uh, 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 lung edemas and brain edemas and all kinds of things. And it's called the kill zone from about 26,000 to 29. And these guys <clears throat> made it, uh, if you will, uh, because they were prepared. And uh, there are certain pictures you can look at. The fun, fascinating thing about this summit is this uh, Hillary, uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, he was just Edmund Hillary back then, uh, and Tenzing Norgay, they kept asking after they got to the summit, which one of you got there first? Think about it the first human footprints on top of Everest. And they never would answer it. They never would answer that. Uh, so to this, when they died, uh, Norgay died a few years ago, and, and uh, uh, Edmund Hillary died a few years ago, they never did tell who was the first person. I think part of that is because they knew that without each other, they wouldn't have made it. Uh, uh, Hillary uh, was uh, so appreciative of uh, Tenzing's work that actually the, 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 um, the uh, airport that you fly into, which I don't recommend, is in Lukla, Nepal, which is considered the most dangerous airport in the world. Uh, go on YouTube and you, you get sick just watching it. Uh, the name of the airport is uh, Tenzing Hillary, uh, uh, or uh, Norgay, uh, I'll get him right here in a second, Norgay uh, uh, Hillary Airport. Tenzing's first name is, uh, last name is Norgay. And so they, they named the airport after him first. So it's the Norgay Hillary Airport. Uh, these guys knew that getting up to 29,031 feet, there's some discussion if it's 31 or 29. Hey, after 29,000 feet, what's three feet among friends, right? Who cares? Uh, but uh, getting to that top of that uh, required uh, an incredible amount of resources. I I'm just interested in this. I'm fascinated by it. By a mountain. Not that I've ever done any mountain climb, but I've been by the mountains. And uh, that's about as far, about as far. I rode the cog train to Met Pikes Peak once. Um, and uh, 
But uh, I'm fascinated by this because of the, uh, of the preparation and the resources that are needed. If you want to do this in your spare time, it's about a $75,000 ticket. Um, it takes about 34 days to get to Camp 2 to get ready to make the summit. 34 days of climbing, coming back down, going up, coming back down, going up and coming back down to get acclimated to altitude so that in that final push from Camp 3, actually, when you get to Camp 3, it's another 2,000 feet that you can actually make it. Incredible preparation. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. If you are interested in a book uh, by uh, John, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Yeah, Into Thin Air. Uh, which uh, chronicles uh, the summit. As I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, okay, what, what resources did they need? Well, they needed people to work with them. They needed food. They needed oxygen. And as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, what is it that we need to understand about the resource of the Holy Spirit that we need? Now, on your outline, you'll see, last time we said, a promise. it's a promise that was kept. This was already in your outline. This is from last week, but... I just want to refer that that this notion of this understanding about the presence of the Holy Spirit is because it's a promise that's been kept from the Old Testament to the New, that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the promise that continues throughout the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, 26, Isaiah 31, Acts 1, 4, all of these passages uh, that speak to the matter of a promise kept. And then, whoops, what I do? And then... uh, what we saw last week was it also uh, has to do with a presence within. A presence within. Uh, discuss this uh, matter about uh, John seven thirty seven that Jesus said, If you believe in me, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because he had not been glorified. A presence within. We, we, we discussed that. Uh, to some to some extent, uh, Revelation twenty one three that the dwelling place of God is with men or with human beings that the dwelling place of God is now not the temple, not a geographical location, but the people of God. And so we discussed that matter of a presence within. Now I want to just refer you here for a second because I've had a couple of people say to me, you know, I've got lots of questions about the Holy Spirit and. Maybe we do some more teaching on it. That's right. I want to say that I think that one of the reasons that there are times because we don't talk a lot or or teach a lot about the Holy Spirit is because of a lot of the errors that have become associated with the Spirit. Uh, There's lots of excesses and lots of extremes. That's nothing new. Um, There there are all kinds of uh, rabbit trails to run off and get off on in this particular area. Uh, but, but that doesn't mean because there are excesses uh, that we should then just forget about it. Forget about this uh, critically important uh, truth about Christian living. So I'm gonna, at, at the end of each of these next three points, I'm going to give you what I would consider to be, might be, if you, you just be alert, uh, to the idea of, of, a, of, a, of an overemphasis might lead to a problem. And that's this last one, the last one we talked about briefly at the end was this, that an overemphasis about this presence within me, that God lives within me, could be mysticism, that one gets into a a level of mysticism. Now, mysticism is more of the idea that I can detect the presence of God by the way I feel, or or I know the presence of God by strong emotion, or I have these deep, if you will, uh, uh, senses of direction. And mysticism is part of uh, this internal presence of the Spirit. I don't think we can say Forget all that. Sometimes in the church we've done that. Uh, but the idea of, 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 of an overemphasis upon this, 
would mean that I take my impressions or feelings above the Word of God. Or that I take my impressions or feelings above what I would call the counsel of God's people. Um, where, where the scripture says in, in, in Proverbs that, that in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. In a multitude of counselors, there's safety. So the idea of mysticism is that I, I, I can figure it all out on my own. My impressions, my feelings, my sense of the internalness of the, of the spirit, that that's everything. Uh, I, I will give you an example of this, uh, if you will. Uh, and this, again, is just an overemphasis. It doesn't mean that we should not know that one of the features of the, pre- of the Holy Spirit is a presence within, that we do have an internal presence. Uh, William Law, who was a contemporary with John Wesley uh, some many years ago, wrote a great book you ought to read at some point called A Serious Call to a Holy and Devout Life. Uh, it was one of, the, one of the kind of seminal texts that affected John Wesley, A Serious Call to a Holy and Devout Life. But Wesley, in his relationship with law over time, law began to move toward mysticism, the the internal witness and the presence of the Spirit. That's all true. But Wesley asked him one time, if it comes down to your internal prompting or your internal witness or the Word of God, which do you trust? And law said, the internal witness and prompting. And Wesley said, I'm out. (laughs) Right? Okay, once that happened. And a lot of times these internal promptings, are we're going to talk a little bit about that, are, are consistent with the Word of God. So we, we got to find that ground there. But I just, I just want to have us to be alert to this, that, that sometimes people will overemphasize this uh, to the extent that their internal feelings or internal promptings are the evidence all the time of the presence of the Spirit. And if you've been a follower of Jesus very long, we can all say that we've had all kinds of promptings and feelings and senses that were dead wrong, right? Dead wrong. And so we have to keep coming back to this. So I just, I just, I want to want to raise that uh, matter there. Now, the third, the 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 third thing here about this uh, resource of the Spirit is a presence to follow, a presence to follow. <clears throat> uh, we're going to look at a couple of passages here. If you'll turn to Romans eight, <clears throat> and then we're going to look at Galatians five and six. Um, <clears throat> in in Romans eight, let, let's look here. Romans eight. Somehow my lessons always come back to Romans. In Romans 8, this this resource that God has made available to us is not only a presence within, but a presence to follow. Notice here in Romans 8, in this great section we worked through before when it says, verse uh, 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Just stop right there. That, that, that Paul is making a distinction in Romans 8 with life that is led by the Spirit as opposed to life in chapter 7 led by the law. And those are the big distinctions now. Life led by the law in Romans 7 versus, or if you will, now life being led by the Spirit in Romans 8. Uh, the, the word I or me show up in Romans 7 40 times. 40 times. I want to do the things I can. I can't do them. I try, but I can't. All that kind of stuff. The word I completely drops out in chapter 8, and the word spirit shows up. So this is the life of the follower of Jesus now, to follow the presence within. So those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. I like that from this standpoint, that this becomes a matter now of us trying to understand what does that mean. 
You remember when you were trying to get your children to learn how to walk? How was that? I remember my little sister. She was born when I was 13. We didn't really want her, but our parents insisted. <laughs> my brother and I said we were doing just great before she showed up. And, but they insisted, so we kept her. We kept her. <clears throat> Although I did, oh, I won't tell you what I told her. I, I just, no, I can't say that. <clears throat> um, but, but I remember when Lisa, we were trying to get her to walk and to be led. She had been real accustomed to crawling, you know, and getting around like that. And so every time we'd kind of pick, they, they kept me away from her, but my, my mom and brother, <laughs> every time they'd pick her up to help her walk, she'd want to sit back down. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's too dangerous. It's too scary. And you know what? <clears throat> my parents said, okay, then you're never going to walk. Right. I think sometimes we think that this idea of being led by the spirit, that if we're not completely successful, if we're, if we don't do it the first time that, that, well, something's wrong with us, or this is, this, this isn't for me. But, but in thinking about this, I think about when, when we teach children how to walk or how to follow us. We, they, they, they're crawling along and we help them up. And they, we, we lift their little arms and, and their little weak legs are kind of wobbly and we kind of walk. What do we do when they start walking? We act like they won the Nobel Prize, right? You know? <laughs> oh, look, they're walking. You know, they are a biped, so they should be doing this at some point. <clears throat> but, but we encourage them. And, 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 and we, try to, we try to make them know they're the greatest thing and, and they'll fall and then we help do what? Get them up. Yeah. You see, I think we've got some of these ideas in our head about God that as we're being led or learning to walk in the Spirit, that if we don't do it perfect, if we don't do it right the first time, well, God must just say, well, forget you. People encouraged us to walk. They celebrated when we took those feeble steps. Might this also be the way the Holy Spirit works with us to say, okay, Cliff, I need to lead you here. I want you to learn to walk with me. And, and as a consequence of that, you're, you're, you're going you're you're to fall some and you're gonna, we're going to get back up. But, but the Spirit is guiding us as we follow Him, as we learn to follow Him, as we sometimes say, I don't know what's going on here. Pam Barton made a great statement uh, last week, and I think it's true, that this being led by the Spirit... Uh, she said this, I, I, I thought, uh, really a, a good idea. She goes, in the Old Testament, we have instruction. In the New Testament, we have an instructor. That's different, isn't it? In the Old Testament, we have an instruction book, or we have instructions. In the New Testament, we have an instructor who's saying, I'll lead you. I'll lead you, Cliff. Just, just follow me here. Just follow me here. That this idea of, of instruction, this, this understanding of being led, of being guided, like a child who is going to fall and do stupid stuff and sit down and, and, and have trouble. But it's a process. It's a matter of living, being led as we are led by the Spirit. Now, I, I had this question in my mind about this. But it says that those who are led by the Spirit of God, not the ones that know the most. Not the ones that understand all the theological distinctions. Not, not the ones who are, who are smart. But those who are led by the Spirit. Those. These are the sons of God. Because this is what God is up to in Pentecost. To say, here's a resource for you, Cliff. A presence, an instructor to guide you and to direct you. A life of following. A life of trustful following, as best I understand. 
as best I understand. It's a life here of being led by the Spirit of God in the daily things of life. I, I just wrote this. I thought it's a life of trustful leadership. Here again is the idea of not just mastering ideas and concepts, but lovingly following Jesus in the power of the Spirit as you understand Him. Let me say again here in this 14, when it says here, the resource of a presence to be followed. I have to say this from look at verse 15. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I'm reading the New American Standard, and I'm not sure how the ESV exactly translates. I didn't look at that. But in verse 15, it says here, For you have not received the spirit of slavery, what? Does it say leading? Yeah, leading. In the Greek New Testament, that, that's the word, the term here. Notice that. All who are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. And you're not being led where? To fear. Look at that. To fear. For you're not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear. If I'm being led by this presence, there are some times when i got to know, okay, how do I know I'm being led right? How do I know I'm being led right? It appears to me, <clears throat> we've discussed some of this, this fear, I would suggest, is specifically related not to just some general fear, anxiety, or morbidity. This is the fear of your status. What's your status here, according to Paul? That's a question you can answer <laughs> What's our status here? Hmm? Sons. What is our not status? Slaves. Remember I, I said before to you, I, I think this is where we get mixed up here. That a lot of us have thought that God has called us so he can use us. That's a weird way to say that. I, I, you say, you know, God wants to use you. Say that to your kids. Hey, your dad would like to use you. See how that goes over Right? Isn't that, that's weird. That's creepy. That is. That's creepy sounding. But that's exactly what a slave is, is to be used to produce and to provide. As I said before, slavery has nothing to do in the ancient world with race. It has to do with you got conquered by the Romans and now you're doing their work. The, 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 this, this notion of how do I know I'm being led? Listen, one of the ways that you know you're being led is you're not being led into some understanding of your status as a slave. That's not the spirit. It says right there, you've not received the spirit of slavery leading you. There's the word lead. Leading you to fear what? Again. That was what it was before we became children of God. That's what it was before we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Not to fear again. So it's not just some common generalized fear. It's really the fear of status. Who am I? And I, I tell you, working with students and with people over, over the years, the great struggle that most people deal with is their identity. Who am I? Am I a beloved, <clears throat> loved child of God? Or am I just a worker bee? Am I just someone who's, you know, busy all the time and, and trying to do the right thing? Or do I live out of my identity as a son or a daughter? Of God, you, you, you generally sometimes don't know what that is until something tough happens. 
something difficult happens. And then we start asking all those kind of questions. Is God mad at me? Am I no longer in love by Him? All these kind of matters. <clears throat> so you're, you're not being led into fear about your status. You are a child of God. You're a child deeply loved and valued. And so when we talk about this, a, if you will, I'm looking at making sure, okay, we're discussing it. So now let's look over here, go to your table of contents. We're going to talk about this presence to follow, presence to follow. <clears throat> go to Galatians. That's in your New Testament there. Go to your table of contents, find the book of Galatians. Here we go. Find the book of Galatians. Uh, it's on page 1108. And we're going to go to chapter 5. I'm <clears throat> going to go to chapter 5. This, other, this idea of being led, it's a resource, not it, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a resource for us to live now. <clears throat> we don't have instructions. We have an instructor. That instructor is not outside of us. He is inside of us. He lives <clears throat> in rule. So in chapter 5 of Galatians, this great passage, I'm going to start at verse 16, when it says this, but I say... I'm sorry, back up 13. For you, nope, that's not it either. I'll get it here in a second. I've got it written down here somewhere even. I have it. Yeah, here we go. But I say, it is verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires on the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And flesh is life animated by human power, and to build. In other words, Adam, life in Adam. These are the two distinctions in the New Testament. We're either in Christ or in Adam. Life in the flesh says I'll live by my own wits and by my own ability and my own intellect and my own power and I'll figure this out on my own. Life in Christ and the Spirit is I'll depend on Him. I'll rely on Him. I'll trust Him. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit of God, you're not a law. Now verse 25, if we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. If we live by the let's walk. Now, that's an interesting term, the word walk. It's really a kind of a military term. It uh, literally means to stay in line. It's sort of like in the rows of a marching army when they're marching over the field, uh, you know, at, when they're like West Point or Becky's uncle graduated from West Point and they all lined up at graduation. They walk across me and they just in line, in line, in line. Paul is saying here, hey, walk in the Spirit means stay in line here. Stay, stay, in, your, stay in your place. Stay in line. I, I wrote this, don't get ahead of the Spirit or behind the Spirit. That, 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 that this idea of being in line with the Spirit, walk with this internal instructor. When I, when I think of this, I think, okay, how do you know you're being led by the Spirit? I'm going to give you some quick things here real quick. I think that's on your outline. Oh, surprise. <laughs> How do I know I'm being led? I already gave you one of them. You're not being led to fear. But here in, in Galatians, in Galatians, I think there's a couple of things we can say. This has always been fascinating to me. Fascinating. In, uh, in 5.16 to 25 of, of Galatians there, Paul is referring to how to live life in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, if you will, the fruit of the Spirit which is being developed as we are led by the Spirit. So how do I know I'm being led by the Spirit is, I think, first of all, 
there is evidence that the fruit of the Spirit is being developed. If, if, we're, if we're walking in the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit is being developed. Not fully developed, not, not all the way, but, but there is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, meekness, and self-control. And, and so those matters, if I'm being led, not just impulsively, but being led by the Spirit, it's in my judgment, will be that, that there is a growing understanding or a growing experience of the fruit of the Spirit. Notice there, the fruit of the Spirit. That, that's what the Spirit produces. It's His work to produce that in my life as I walk, as I stay in line, as I, as I stay there. It'd be, I didn't think about this until just right now. It'd be interesting, what would you consider, you can answer this, what, what would you consider would be some, let's say, activities or perspectives of staying in line? Huh? What, what, would, what would be, if you said, let's stay in line, what would you tell a person? Huh? Forgiving others? Okay, what else? Obedient to what you understand? Okay. Trusting others? Trust God? I think I heard that, yeah. What? Loving others? Okay, walk worthy. Okay, not being so overly self-critical or, or judging yourself all the time. Stay in line here. Take God's assessment of you, not yours. That's interesting. You might want to think about this and consider it. I didn't think about it till just now. <laughs> I've got some other things I want to talk to you about. But think about what does it mean to be in line? Stay in line. Stay, stay in the marching line with the Spirit. Jerry? Okay, maybe, maybe ha again, having the Scriptures, the... The bar here to say, okay, is my life looking like this at some level? <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Check the feeling to make sure that if the feeling isn't lining up. Yeah. Conviction or <clears throat> a sense of what's right or wrong or those kind of matters. Yeah. Know your place. What would, let's talk about that just for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here now. I, this is the way extroverts deal with this kind of stuff, okay? <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of this earlier. <clears throat> don't fall into bar okay, don't, don't what? Don't fall into bar yeah, yeah. She's saying don't, we don't fall in the bar ditch when we are, stay in line. You know, you get too far to the left or too far to the right. So where, where would, if we're going to stay in our place, one is our, our identity. I'm a child of God. Uh, you know, I'm not God, but I'm a child of God. You know, I've said to my students this, that I really think that sin has one of these features, that sin is where I start rejecting my creaturely status. Think about that for a second. Sin is where I start rejecting my creaturely status. I think I know more than God does. I think I know more than what He should thinks. I'm a creature, but here I am rejecting it because I'm smarter than He is. I don't need to do what he says. So, so having our place. Walking upright. Walking upright. <clears throat> huh? Rules of engagement. You're going to have to help me with that one. <clears throat> huh. 
Okay. Okay. <clears throat> attentive, yeah. Attentive to the to the direction, yeah. Well, this just maybe there's something we can you can think about through the week. I it's just a, a, a notion here. Let me let me ask you to look here with me in Galatians. How do I know I'm being led? <clears throat> One is I'm walking in a way that is helping to produce the fruit of the spirit. But I've always been entered. <clears throat> Notice in verse 25, if we walk, if we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. And that Greek word <clears throat> means to carry on, stay in line. Let no one become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, brethren, even I'm in verse six, of chapter six, verse one. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass. Now, the Greek word there, peripateo, is interesting because it means a misstep. There are several Greek words for sin. Hamartia means to miss the mark. Uh, uh, parabasis means to uh, trespass or transgress. Uh, this uh, trespass here is peripateo, means to, to misstep. Think about it. He's just said, now walk by the Spirit. Okay? Now, brethren, even if anyone is caught in a misstep. What are you supposed to do? You who are what? Spiritual. Do what? Restore them gently. Isn't that interesting? How do you, how, how do you know you're being led by the Spirit? One, you're developing fruits of the Spirit. Second, when you are around someone that's fallen, how do you restore them? Gently. Look at that. <clears throat> Gently. Here's the idea. How do you know you're being led by the Spirit? In this section here, it's that we are developing more and more of the fruit of the Spirit. And then when people misstep, the spiritual ones, the ones who are being led by the Spirit, what are they doing? They're restoring. I, I used to preach this at the church. I tell you what. The only people that know how to restore somebody gently are spiritual people. Watch how carnal or immature people deal with you when you fail. They'll eat you up. They'll chew you up and spit you out. Spiritual people, that's what it says right here, you who are spiritual, you who are staying in step with the Spirit, restore them in the spirit of gentleness. Each of you looking to yourself so you'll not be tempted. How do you know you're being led by the Spirit? The way you deal with other people who failed. The way you deal with other people who failed. This is a big challenge. This is only the Spirit of Christ that can make this happen. So we're not only developing the fruit of the Spirit, chapter 5, but chapter 6, we're dealing with, if you will, people who are failing or struggling. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop here because there's several other things here that we, we could look at. But I want to say, in following, in this here, I think there's an overemphasis here that we need to be careful about. You say, there's... Too much following? Well, let me, let me say it this way. As the overemphasis of identifying the presence of the Spirit in our life can be mysticism, I think the overemphasis when we talk about following the Spirit, producing the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, dealing gently with people, the overemphasis, I believe, this is Cliff's opinion, can be legalism. You're not following like I am. 
You're not growing like I am. You don't see the importance of the Spirit or in the matters of the fruit of the Spirit like I do. You seen this? Somebody gets hyper spiritual on you? Yes. That's wrong. No. <laughs> That's completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Critical. For the recording, let me say what April made a great say. She read a psychology book one time that said that whenever people uh, are very judgmental or pointing things out in other people's lives pretty, pretty aggressively and strongly, it's often because there's something in their life just like that. I think there's a ton of truth in that. My dad said to me years ago when I was a young person, which is no longer true, <clears throat> my dad said to me, listen to preachers, and whatever they're fighting with all their might is what they struggle with. I've never forgotten that. And you know what? I've been in the ministry long enough. I tell you, it's the truth. It's the truth. Whatever we fight so hard against and whatever we are so vociferously opposed to, we might want to back up and say, is there something about that that's in me somewhere that I need to be attentive to? And so when we're spiritual, at least, we're at least watching and looking at ourselves to say, you better look inside, Cliff. Or not, you don't, you don't say that. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. don't say that. <clears throat> but, but to say, look at yourself to be led here in this area. I think you're exactly right. I never forgot my dad. Talk. And you know what? We've seen this in the last a few weeks of people who were so vocal about certain social issues and then come to find out they're right in the middle of it. They're right in the middle of it. And you think, What? So it's that compensation thing. So yeah. Oh, I think so. Yes. Projection. I couldn't remember the word. That's right. There's a, we have a couple of people in here that have some real skill in this area. Projection. Yeah, my dad didn't know that word. No. He just said, watch out. But I've seen it. And, and, and it's a human tendency here. Yes. If you spot it, you got it. Ooh. Okay, Liz. There's some collective knowledge here. <clears throat> Woo! If you spot it, you got it. Oh, man. Let's pray. <clears throat> but I'm telling you that, that I've watched this in the tradition I'm a part of. In the, in the, the, the Wesleyan holiness the tradition I come out of. That this heavy emphasis upon following the Spirit... Developing the fruit of the Spirit, dealing with matters in my life, that it has its tendency to go toward legalism. That you got to follow the way I do, and you got to believe the way I do, and you got to act the way I do, and it just literally squeezes the life out of people. Uh, it may sound crazy, I mean, but, but it's true that, that this following, this, this following, following, oh, it's important to follow. Here's sidebar. I, I told you, I, this is the way extroverts work. What I've noticed over the years is that 
we've built entire churches around a particular dimension of the Holy Spirit. Here they are real quick. <clears throat> and we're <clears throat> look at this. Part of it is <clears throat> that part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to give us resources to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the gospel. Every Baptist church you've ever been to knows the power of the Holy Spirit is to enable you to do what? Witness. Right? I've had a couple of friends that would say to me, look, you come to a Baptist church, we're not going to talk about healing, but we're going to talk about evangelism. Okay? Built an entire denomination around that. Guess what? The Church of God in the Westland Holiness tradition. <clears throat> there is also this stream in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is for, for purity. See, I've got, got peas on all these. <clears throat> for purity. Holy living. Right living. So holiness churches built up around this. I grew up in a church that we were holy and clean, but we were going to let the rest of the world go to hell because we weren't going to witness to anybody. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> Anybody go to that church? <clears throat> yep. Yeah, we're going to let the whole world go to hell. And the smaller we were, the holier we were. Right? Because these churches get big. They're just liberal. Right? <clears throat> Bunch of liberals. You can't get people to love Jesus like that. It's crazy. So we built an entire denomination around it and group. Third one, <clears throat> power. It's called the charismatic renewal. Spiritual gifts, power, worship. Works of power. That's called the charismatic movement. So, so, so we built an entire denomination around that. Now, these are, these are extreme statements I'm making. Okay, so, so in the charismatic movement, there isn't a lot of concern about evangelism. I'm not saying every, I'm just saying in general, right? But lots about power and healing and, and, uh, and spiritual gifts and, and, and incredible worship. And the last group we call presence, the mystics, you know, be mystical, <clears throat> We've built entire groups around that. And we can't balance it out. That we need proclamation. We need purity. We need power. We need presence. We need them all. But we can't seem to get that figured out, can we? we, we so we build entire movements around those particular areas that we're comfortable with and forget the rest of it. There are these four, in my judgment, there's at least these four streams in the New Testament that are deeply understood in the church of, in history. So, so, so we need presence to follow. That's, this is this purity, if you will, or this, this, this holiness dimension. We need it, but boy, be careful here. You get so dialed into this one that you become a legalist. If people don't believe the way you do or act the way you do or follow the way you do or do the way you do, something wrong with them. Make sense? It'd be interesting for you or me to, um, to spend some time thinking of these, <clears throat> where have I kind of laid down and kind of camped out? I can tell you this in my life, and I've, <clears throat> it's part of my daily prayer time over this now. Um, and I have some good friends that, <clears throat> you know, I just tell them, don't argue with me about this. I'm telling you what I know. 
okay? Just shut up. I can say that. I said to them, <clears throat> I get locked into too much or too, often too many times into areas where I'm teaching Christians. Church, Sunday school, stuff like that. And I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm asking God to help me, to guide me, to, to, to lead me, to help me more, be more attentive, to open my mouth and witness to somebody. You ever, you ever do that? You share your faith. You talk about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I'm asking, I'm saying, I, I think I've, I've sort of <clears throat> camped out in a couple of areas and the matter of proclamation or sharing my faith has not been happening very much lately. You know, so I, I know I've camped out in a couple of areas and just get lost in there. See, my friends will say, oh, but Cliff, you're a teacher and you're a bit, stop it. Don't argue with me about this. Don't, I mean, they're my friends. They like me. They don't want me to feel bad. I don't feel bad. I feel convinced. And I, I would say this, by the way, <clears throat> as you know, me, that, that's the word I use instead of convicted. I think convicted is the wrong word. Elekon in, in John is more the idea of convinced. You can be convicted about something and not do a thing about it. You're bad. I know. I'm terrible. It's no good. <laughs> when you're convinced something is a certain way, you act. God wants to convince me, not convict me, that this is an important thing. So I, I, this is why I think it's so important. This is why I'm saying, this is why we don't teach a lot about the Holy Spirit. It's so convoluted. It, he, or our understanding of him, is so convoluted. We can't pull all these strands together and say, how can we be a people who do open our mouths, who do live lives of purity, who do experience the power of the Spirit through spiritual gifts, and who do know God in a personal, intimate kind of way? Why can't we do that? That's what the New Testament seems to be suggesting all the time. All four of them. So be careful. Legalism. Now again, <clears throat> I want to ask you to... This is not on your handout. It's in mine. And I'm going to stop here. We're not going to do D. <laughs> Imagine that. Brother, I always get in too many areas. I want to talk about a very specific thing here when it says, how do I know I'm being led? That's where we are still, sort of. Um, I'm, going to get, I'm just going to, I'm going to rattle this stuff off here for you because I, I think it's a, it's a matter. How do I know I'm being led? <clears throat> One is, um, if I'm being led into something or to do something, it's going to make much of Jesus. It's going to make much of him. It's not going to elevate me. It's not going to elevate you. It's going to be making much of him. John, John 16, 14 says, Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, he won't speak about himself, but he'll glorify me. See, this, when the spirit leads you, he's going to lead you to make much of Jesus. I said before, he's the shy member of the Trinity. He said, go read it. John 16, 14. He will not speak of his own but he will speak of me and glorify me. So, so how do I know that I'm being led? <clears throat> because it's going to make much of Jesus. Not of you, not of me, not of our tradition, not of our church, not of our group. It's going to be making much of Jesus. Okay? 
So that, that, that's one thing. Number two, it seems to me that if I'm being led by the Spirit, it is meeting a need somewhere. It's meeting, not every need is your call. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that just because you see a need, that's God's leadership. There are all kinds of needs around you. But it's meeting a need somehow that will bring help to another. Number three, it probably, if I'm being led, is it is, it is producing a, a deeper dependence on my part in God. If I'm being led, it, 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 it's, it's causing a deeper dependence in me. So it's making much of Jesus. It's, it's probably meeting a need here that would be important. And, it, and, it, and it's creating a deeper dependence in me. Now I want to deal with one more thing and then I'm going to stop and we'll f- finish this next week. Because this is an area when, when, that people talk about sometimes when they've sinned or failed. How to know the Spirit is leading them there. So I'm, I'm just, I'm going to rattle this off. How, how do you know if the Spirit is really leading and dealing with you about a sin or an area? You know, I know people that just live with a cloud of guilt over them. I used to live there. I can get back there. I, f- I found that place again. But, but they just live with a cloud of guilt. All the time. They just feel bad. They just feel guilty about everything for whatever. It's all kinds of reasons likely. But, but how do I know I'm being led by the Spirit of God to deal with something in my life? You know, a sin. An error. Number one. It's specific. It's specific. None of this global guilt stuff. You're a bad person. You're not, you're not a good person. You know, that kind of global, pervasive guilt, that is not from God. The, the Spirit of God, if He's dealing with a particular area of our life, is very specific. You know why? Because it can be dealt with now. Remember what the devil's called in Revelation? The accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Now, He's going to accuse you in a way that you can't do anything about it. Oh, you're a bad Christian. Okay. <laughs> what do I do about that? He's gonna, he's, it's going to be global. It's going to be large. Because why? he doesn't want you to deal with it. I'm just saying, this is how you kind of know who's dealing with you. If it's specific, if you can nail it down and say, I did that. Likely the Spirit. Because the devil deals globally. Number two, <clears throat> it's hopeful. We don't, we don't have time, but in Hebrews 12, 4 to 11, it's, you're hopeful. It says right there, nobody has received discipline from the Lord unless they're a child of God. And he says he disciplines us so that we may share in his holiness. See, when, when, when God deals with every life, it's not to beat us down. It's so that we can share in his holiness. Go back and read that in Hebrews. That it says it's hopeful. There's a sense in which we get this thing fixed. We get it taken care of. And now I can share in his holiness. I've told you four years ago at a Dairy Queen in Texas, which one is in every town in Texas. But Becky said to me we were first married. She'd sinned. I think that's the last time Becky sinned was 1979. (laughs) I don't think she's sinned since then. But she said to me one time, she said, Cliff, when I sin and fail, I just feel like giving up. And a boom dawned on me. Who wants you to give up, Becky? You got to answer that, right? Do you really believe that God wants you to give up? 
some of us ought to dig around our soul about that because that's what your, your default is. That's what you think. That's it, not God. God is, not, God is hopeful so we can fix it and deal with it. And then third, <clears throat> I suggest this is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I think when we deal, that we're concerned about how our sin has affected others. Not just, oh, I'm in trouble or somebody's going to find it. But you know what? I'm concerned about how my sin has affected another person. That's the Spirit of God. It, it, it's specific. It's hopeful. And it's directed to my concern about how's it affected another person. Not, oh, I'm in trouble or people are going to find out. Or Go read 2 Corinthians 7 later about godly and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrows, oh man, I'm in trouble. Well, we didn't get as far as I wanted to, but I, I think these are important things. As we discuss, if you will, um, it, 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 it's why we have to discuss this because there's the truth of this and there's the overemphasis of this. And by God's grace, we have to say, I got to be honest enough to say, I could be in any of these camps and have just laid down and stayed there. And not really allowed the fullness of the Spirit to be my experience. Okay? Here's what I want to ask you to do. Which one of these do you think you're in? Proclamation, purity, power, or presence? And be willing to ask the Spirit of God to help you at least be open to how he might lead you into one of those other areas. How he might lead you, how he might, just into one of those other areas. Not all of them, just one. But to say, if you're in this area, God, could you help, if that's his will, to just say, I'm going to be open now this week. If we do that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, this is important to you. Uh, you told your disciples that they had to wait, they had to be prepared for what was coming and that the resource that you had provided them to climb this mountain, as it were, was the Holy Spirit. So we're asking you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to help us. To get out of our enclaves, out of our little area that we may have decided just to sit down in. And broaden our understanding and our experience with you in the coming days. Not just for our good, but for the good of those around us. And we continue to look to this Jesus and ask for your guidance and the Spirit to lead us this week. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.